Well, good morning. Good to worship with you today. If you're new here, I want to say welcome. My name is Fred and I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming and celebrating the gospel with us today. Hope you enjoy your time here and, and are encouraged in your walk with Christ and build up in some way. If you need anything while you're here, please let us know. Uh, we'd be delighted to try to help you. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 65 today. While you're looking for Psalm 65 or turning to Psalm 65, I have a couple of announcements. One, uh, this coming Saturday, our youth ministry is having a pool party. And so if you have a student who's going into seventh grade up through uh, 12th grade, please let Pastor Marty know if you'd like to get them connected to the pool party. Is Pastor Marty in here? I have him. There's Pastor Marty over here. So if you want to get connected to him, uh, he'd be happy to, to chat with you. Also, a couple of resources. Last week, we put out the Revelation notebooks. What this is, is in two weeks, we're going to start uh, studying through the book of Revelation. That's going to take us um, from September all the way up to Christmas. And uh, we, we have these notebooks, which on one side of the book has the scripture, and on the other side of the book has a place to take notes. And this is just a great resource as we go through this book together uh, to get all of your notes in one place and then have it to hold on to. I know a lot of times those little handouts and stuff are easy to lose, uh, but as we go through Revelation, you may wanna compile your notes in one place. And so we have a few of those available today. You guys cleaned us out last week. Second service got none. You should have heard the things they were saying about you. It was so bad. I, I, we had to call them to repentance. But... Uh, there's, I've just put a few out because of that. And we have a bunch more. If you don't get one today, um, we're not going to order in anymore. We did that to just try to make it convenient for you to get one, but you can get them on Amazon, uh, for like a dollar more than, than we're charging. So they're five bucks. If you happen to get one today, uh, if you can't, uh, cover the cost of that, no sweat. We just want you to have one. Also, if you've been doing the 365 Bible reading plan, if you're new here, that's a Bible reading plan we started in January to get through the entire Bible this year together as a church. Uh, if you've been doing that plan, we put some resources out there on the orange table in the fellowship area. There's a couple of workbooks that will help you. Um, there, one of them is 100 summaries of the most important uh, stories in the Bible or events or characters. And then the other one is a coinciding workbook where you can um, test your knowledge and dig a little bit deeper. And there's some really good questions in there to help you go deeper into those 100 summaries. So those are free. I encourage you to take those. And if we run out of those, we'll get more printed up for next week. All right, that gave you plenty of time to get to Psalm 65. So I'm gonna read the Psalm. We'll pray and then we'll jump into the message together. Let's look at Psalm 65. Praise is rightfully yours, God, in Zion. Vows to you will be fulfilled. All humanity will come to you, the one who hears prayer. Iniquities overwhelm me. Only you can atone for our rebellions. How happy is the one you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. You answer us in righteousness with awe-inspiring works, God, of our salvation, the hope of the ends of the earth and of the distant seas. You establish the mountains by your power. You are robed with strength. You silence the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves and the tumult of the nations. Those who live far away are awed by your signs. You make east and west shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it abundantly, enriching it greatly. 
God's stream is filled with water for you. Prepare the earth in this way, providing people with grain. You soften it with showers and bless its growth, soaking its furrows and leveling its ridges. You crown the year with your goodness. Your carts overflow with plenty. The wilderness pastures overflow and the hills are robed with joy. The pastures are clothed with flocks and the valleys covered with grain. They shout in triumph, indeed they sing. Would you pray with me as we consider this psalm together? Father in heaven, we come to your word trusting that it is exactly what you say. It is living and active, able to change our hearts, able to change our minds, able to change our lives. And so, God, would you speak to us from your word today? Would you make clear your will for our lives? Would you humble us before you that we might receive your mercy and your kindness? And Father, I pray that you would equip us to live lives that honor and glorify you in this dark and lost world. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a psalm of praise. There are different types of psalms, and we've looked at several of those as we've gone through this series. But here we are, we're being called to join in a chorus of praise. We're being called to celebrate God for who he is and for what he does. And so I wanna look at this in a very simple way today. I, wanna, I want us to consider three reasons to praise God today. There are essentially, if you, if you look at this psalm very closely in your Bible, probably already has it broken up in, in this way for you. There are really three stanzas. There are, and each of those stanzas reveals another reason why we should praise God. And so that's how we're going to approach this passage today. If you have the handout in front of you, you'll see on the back, there's a place to take notes. We'd love for you to follow along and take notes. The first thing you'll see on that handout is this. Praise God because he saves. I hate to jump right into essentially the most important part of who God is and what he does, but here we are. This is where this psalm begins. One of the reasons, probably the highest reason that we can praise God is because he saves. And from our perspective, that is our most important need. We need salvation. We need a God who saves. Imagine this world without a merciful, just, righteous, loving God who offers salvation to human beings. What a hopeless world that would be. And yet we don't have to wonder what that's like because that's not the way the world is. We praise God because he is a God who saves. We praise him because he is a God who shows mercy. He is a God who loves his creation and delights to redeem us back to himself. And so the psalmist says, praise is rightfully yours, God. Vows to you will be fulfilled. All humanity will come to you, the one who hears prayer. The psalmist says, iniquities overwhelm me. Only you can atone for our rebellions and how happy is the one you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. This is essentially the most important message of the entire Bible is that we, we exist in a state as, as, as stated here where iniquities overwhelm us. 
We exist in a state where we are born into this world, we are born into rebellion, and we, we live out our lives in confirmation of that state of rebellion by choosing to sin against God. And yet, he is a God who saves. When the psalmist says, only you can atone for our rebellions, a truer statement has never been spoken. Who, other than our God, can atone for what we have done? Who can save us from the sin and the rebellion that we have lived in all of our lives? There is only one. And how happy are we that he chooses to do so? What a, what a beautiful way to start this psalm. I live in sin, separated from the God that gives life, and my iniquities have overwhelmed me, and yet God delights to rescue. He delights to save. He delights to bring us in to live in his courts. That's a way of saying that, that we, get to, we get to receive out of the abundance of his goodness. We get to be reconciled back to God so that we have a saving relationship with him and he will keep us in his presence forever. That's what it means that God saves. It means that I don't have to be without hope. I don't have to be without answer for my sinfulness. I don't have to live a life of dread knowing that one day I'll have to stand before this holy and just God and, and, and receive the due penalty for my sin because he's a God who saves. He is a God who brings us near to him. He is a God who reconciles human beings to himself so that we can enjoy his goodness forever. Just think about the future that God has promised to those who will receive his salvation. Eternity in his presence, eternity in his goodness, eternity in his love. That is an incredible reason to praise God. But this almost points us to a reality that we must understand there is only one way to receive such salvation. What is spoken of in this psalm some 1,000 years before Jesus came was faith in a promise, faith in a promise that God would send his Messiah and that his Messiah would make this kind of salvation possible. A 1,000 years after those words were written, that Messiah came. Jesus came and he was such a Messiah. He came and he died on the cross for sinners like you and me. He came and he took our sinfulness upon himself, paying the debt that we owed to God so that we might be reconciled back to him. And so in Acts chapter four, this is shortly after the fulfillment of God's promise to send his Messiah. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's gone to the tomb. He has resurrected and now 40 days later, he has ascended into heaven and his followers began to preach salvation in the name of Jesus. And that preaching salvation in the name of Jesus gets them into trouble among the Jewish leaders. Many of them had rejected Jesus. No doubt many of them had received Jesus, but many of them had also continued to reject Jesus. And their preaching, 
their preaching of the gospel of Jesus got them in trouble. Let's look at Acts chapter four together. In Acts chapter four, it says, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers and rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, and by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This is Jesus, the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then he says these powerful words in verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. The reason there is salvation in no one else is because no one else has sufficiently atoned for, this goes back to Psalm 65. Remember the Psalm says, you atone for our iniquities. No one else has ever sufficiently atoned for our sin. No one else has ever been the perfect, sinless son of God sent into the world to perfectly obey God's commands and then yet to go and die a sinner's death in our place and on the third day rise from the grave, ascend into heaven to be seated at God's right hand. If you find another Messiah who meets all of those qualifications, then yes, there will be more than one way to heaven. But until then, there is but one way, and that way is through Jesus Christ. Sometimes our desire to broaden the path and to, to, to create exceptions that people can, can get to heaven other ways is really, it's, it's, it's a man-centered desire it's not a God-centered desire. It's a man-centered desire. But the reality is, is that there are no, no other religion, no other amount of morality, no amount of good deeds is ever going to accomplish what Jesus has accomplished. He alone was fit to go for, to the cross to atone for your sins. And so there's some application points under, under each one of these three points I wanna give us some applications. The first and most important application we're gonna look at here today, if you have not already done this, is have you received his salvation? The most important way to respond to this psalm, to respond to what God has done to atone for our sins, is to ensure that you are indeed in Christ, that you have received Jesus' offer of salvation to take away your sins, to, to give you in place his righteousness and to promise you eternal life. If you have never done that, if you have never asked Jesus Christ to take away your sin and give you eternal life, today is the day you should make that request. Come to him in faith, trusting in him, believing that what he did on the cross was for you. Turn from your sin. That's what the Bible means when it says to repent, to turn from sin to Christ. Today is the day to do that. 
Assuming that most of us in this room have done that, let me give you this application to consider. Who can you share the gospel with this week? Considering this, I, this reality that, that, that no one is going to receive salvation outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is of utmost importance that we share the gospel. And yet so often we fail to do so. And when I say we, I'm thinking mostly of me and assuming that you're like me. I'm assuming that you find it as hard as I do to point the people around you to Jesus Christ. There are no doubt uh, countless reasons why we hesitate to share the gospel. Perhaps we've done it before and we've been rejected. Perhaps we assume the person we're talking to is not open to and would not receive the gospel. But at the end of the day, none of, none of these excuses for not sharing the gospel really hold up. At the end of the day, we must consider that life is short. Life here on earth is finite. We don't have an unlimited amount of time and an unlimited amount of opportunities. We must share the gospel now. We must take it upon ourselves to declare and demonstrate God's plan of redemption in Jesus Christ. We must make the gospel known. And so I wanna encourage you, I've taken this challenge myself, but I wanna encourage you to take the challenge to, to think of at least one person that you're gonna share the gospel with this week. Can you think of at least one person that you're gonna to commit to sharing the gospel with this week? And you might say, well, I don't know how to share the gospel. There are, there are a myriad of ways to share the gospel. You can, you can utilize many of the resources that are available online, um, Several months ago, Pastor Greg created a really, really fantastic gospel presentation video called The Gospel in Five Minutes. And um, I'll try to make that available in our Facebook group so that you have easy access to it. But it's a great video that, honestly, sharing the gospel can be, it doesn't it doesn't, this isn't the only way to do it, but it can be as simple as sending that video off to whoever it is you wanna share the gospel with and saying, hey, I watched this and I think it's powerful. What do you think? What is your response? You know, just ask a simple question. Just ask them for feedback on this gospel presentation. Or you can take it upon yourself to personally share the gospel by, by explaining to them that God is holy and we are sinful and we need a way to be reconciled back to him. And so he sent his son to be that way of reconciliation. There, there's so many different ways that we can share the gospel. The question is, will you share the gospel this week? I would encourage you to write down the name of at least one person you're gonna to attempt to share the gospel with this week and pray for them. Pray for them, love on them, and share the good news of the gospel. When we have good news of any other sort, we're always so eager to share it. You eat at a good restaurant, or you watch a good TV show, or you have a good experience somewhere, and it's just so natural to share it. You find something that's helping with some sort of physical ailment. You're like, man, I had the worst back pain, and then I went to this chiropractor. You need to go check him out too. We're so eager to share good news until it comes to the gospel. Part of that is no doubt we're in a spiritual battle. It's, it's work. It's spiritual work to share the gospel. There's no obstacle to telling somebody about a restaurant that you like or a movie that you watched that you really enjoyed, but there is 
There is spiritual warfare when it comes to sharing the good news of the gospel, but we must persevere through. So who can you share the gospel with this week? So the first reason to praise God today is because he saves. The second reason, let's look at this one together, praise God because he loves the nations. Friday night, we had with us uh, a missionary couple, Christian and uh, Megan Hall, who we've supported, um, I think almost since the beginning of Redemption, and uh, it was, they, they were back in the States to have a baby and, and shared a little update on Friday night. They couldn't be here this morning. I wish they could have been. Um, but their, their ministry is to go to an unreached people group. That means a, a people group who share a common language and a common culture who do not have the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't have the Bible in their language. They don't know that Jesus has died for their sins. And the, the sad reality is that there are many such people groups across the globe. And I thank God for this family who has, who has dedicated their lives to identify and reaching with the gospel and unreached people group. We need many more such missionaries. We need folks who are willing to go out and share the gospel in hard places who are willing to give their lives. And it's not an easy thing. It takes sacrifice. And, and you know, they have young kids. They have five young kids under the age of eight. I mean, I guess life's gonna be terrible in that situation anyhow. You might as well be a missionary if you're gonna, if you're gonna be in that place, right? But, they're, and their kids are awesome. They're really, really great kids. But we need more families like that. And we need more singles who will go and, and spread the gospel. We need, we need people who obey the great commission by going to the ends of the earth. And um, Melody Trudgeon, who, who plays guitar up here, she's speaking at our, our young adults conference this coming weekend. And, and uh, she wanted to practice her talks as she came in the other day and kind of gave her her breakout session. And she, she reminded me of a fantastic quote by John Piper, uh, and her talk was on missions. And, and John Piper says, when it comes to missions, we really have three options, go, send, or disobey. And number three really shouldn't be an option for Christians. I mean, nobody should be willing to say, well, I'm just gonna disobey. I'm just gonna disobey the command of Christ to go. And so that really leaves us with two options. I'm either gonna go, and that's, that is a, uh, something that needs to be worked out through prayer and godly counsel and wisdom and training and preparation, but is incredibly important. Or I'm going to send, and Mel did such a great job at reminding us that senders are no less important. They are equally necessary in the task of taking the gospel to the nations because senders commit to praying. Senders commit oftentimes to financial support. Senders are the the support network that makes possible for the goers to go, but we really need both. And and if you're here today and you're like, I'm not sure uh, that I'm doing either one of those, I would encourage you to really take seriously the command to go to the nations. Let me tell you why. Let's look at verse five together. Let's look at the second stanza of this psalm. It says, you answer us in righteousness with awe-inspiring works. God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the distant seas. 
You established the mountains by power, you erode with strength. You silence the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves, the tumult of nations. Those who live far away are awed by your signs. You make east and west shout for joy. This, this stanza does the same thing twice. One, it, it, it kind of describes God's sovereignty over his creation. He is in control of the universe. He is in control of nature. And because of that, people to the ends of the earth rejoice in who he is. Two times this stanza makes that point. Those who live far away are awed by your signs. You make east and west shout for joy. Our God is the God of the nations. And we praise him because of his great love for the nations. We praise him because he is through his people going to the ends of the earth so that those unreached people groups can hear the gospel. He is no respecter of, of, of political power. He is no respecter of wealth among men. He goes to the poor and he goes to the rich. He goes to the first world and he goes to the developing world. He is the God of all the earth. And in him alone do the peoples of the earth find hope. But we praise him because he loves all people. We pray, when we were over in Malawi, it was one of the encouraging things about that trip. One of many of the encouraging things about that trip for me was there'd be times where we'd be going to visit these villages that we had, our church had sponsored at Clean Water Wells for, and we were going to meet the people and see how the, the well was impacting their lives. And we'd be on this, what, what could barely be considered a road, but served as a road for sometimes an hour, hour and a half. And you're just like, what in the world? Where's this thing going? <laughs> and you're just driving past village after village. But one of the things that really encouraged me was here we are seemingly out in the middle of nowhere in places where who would ever think to help people in this region, you would see God's church. You'd see a church in this village and then you got a little further, you see a church in that village. And we saw, I remember, I remember vividly one of the villages we drove past outside of the church, there was a man sitting on a chair and he had a Bible open and there was probably a dozen people in front of him and they were having some sort of Bible study and I just thought, God, I thank you that you have not forgotten these people. You have not forgotten these people who live in these seemingly remote parts of the earth. They are just as in view of God's love and his mercy and his affection as anybody else on the earth. You don't have to be rich to get God's attention. You don't have to live in a well-known place to have God's love. He loves the nations and he is worthy of praise for that. He is worthy of praise because of his love for the nations. He is worthy of praise because he, he sends his people out to, to declare his love to people who otherwise have no reason. I mean, there's no reason to go to Malawi. None. By our, by our standards, it's not a nice place to visit. But God is just sending his people for over 150 years, Christian missionaries have been going and they've been loving on the people of Malawi. They've been establishing churches and doing ministry. And that's just one example of what God is doing all over the world. 
He's doing that all over the world. He's doing that in Pakistan. He's doing that in Iran. He's doing that in China. He's doing that in Russia. God, God loves the nations, and therefore he is sending his people to declare the message of the gospel. Acts chapter one, verse eight, very important scripture um, verse in the New Testament because Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. He's leaving the earth and he's not coming back until his second coming when he'll come back to judge the earth. And he says to his followers, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is the mission that God has given to his people. And listen, you and I, we're here. We know the gospel. We hopefully have salvation in Jesus Christ because of Acts 1.8. Because Jesus told his followers, he told his closest disciples, you're not staying here. They, they, said, they, they asked him, what prompted this response from Jesus is they asked him, is now the time when you're gonna reestablish the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus' response basically is, no, we're not reestablishing the kingdom of Israel this time. You're going out to the nations. And because of that, here we are, thousands of mouths where Jesus spoke these words and we have the gospel. What a great God. What a, what a praise-worthy God. He loves the nations. He loves people from every tribe and tongue. And so the question becomes, this is the application on the handout, how can we help the nations know this God? How do we help the nations know God? We are the church of Jesus Christ. We must have an answer to that question. What are we? I mean, I don't just mean the church global. I mean this group of people, Redemption Church in Lower Borough, Pennsylvania. How can we and how will we help the nations to know God? And I beg you, I plead with you, do not delegate this task to the pastors and a handful of very serious Christians in this church. I beg you to personally commit yourself to finding some way to help the nations know God. The good news is, is if you, if you worship through giving here at Redemption Church, we take a portion of everything that comes in through our offerings and we use it to that very end to help churches be planted and help support missionaries globally. And we have a number of missionaries that we support. And if you'd like more information about any of those, we'd be delighted to connect you to them and help you understand what they're doing. But that's not enough. I encourage you to personally develop a heart for the gospel-less people across the globe and to commit to making it a part of your prayer life, to making it a part of your financial life, and perhaps even to, to commit some time to go and help take the gospel to people around the world. I don't think any, any Christian 
should consider their ministry as a follower of Christ solely in their immediate geographic area. I'm not saying everybody should go be missionaries. I'm not saying, I'm not saying everybody even needs to go on a short-term mission trip, though that's a great in-between step to take. And one of the things I think is really effective about short-term mission trips, it's not like you're gonna go and change the country that you visit in five days. It's more that you're, it's going to grow your heart for what God is doing among the nations. And it's going to expand your mind to see what God is doing and how we can participate from right here. One of, one of the things that, one of the reasons why uh, when I went back to Malawi for the second time, I wanted to make sure I took people from Redemption Church with me is because as we sent money to sponsor those clean water wells, they were drilling those wells and before the concrete was even dried, they wrote in the concrete, donated by Redemption Church. Now, in the economy of man, and in the economy, well, let me just leave it at the, in the economy of man, nobody there knows who Redemption Church is, and they don't need to know. Now, we had the opportunity to go visit many of them, and now they know at least a representation of Redemption Church, but more, than, more important to me than the people there in Malawi knowing where this came from, other than it was God's people, more important to me was that we would go and see that we can literally make a difference from right here in Lower Borough, Pennsylvania. Redemption Church can make an impact in the lives of thousands of people through the simple act of sponsoring a clean water well. And I wanted our people to see that. I wanted them to see their church's name etched in concrete, not for the credit, but for the impact of seeing this is real. I can really do something to help change the world. I can really do something to help spread the gospel. And I don't... I don't necessarily have to leave Lower Borough, Pennsylvania to do that. I can do that from here. And the opportunities, that is one small example of the ways that we are participating with God and what he's doing around the world. How can we help the nations know God? How can you help the nations know God? Let's seriously consider the answer to that question. I've got one more point. We, praise, we can praise God today because he saves. We can praise him because he loves specifically the nations. And we ought to praise God today because he provides. He provides is the last point on the handout. This particular part of the psalm impacted me in a number of ways this week. After studying this passage, this one really stuck with me and I, I thought about it on several occasions as I just went about life. Let me read it for you. Verse nine says, you visit the earth and water it abundantly, enriching it greatly. God's stream is filled with water for you prepare the earth in this way, providing people with grain. You soften it with showers and bless its growth, soaking its furrows and leveling its ridges. You crown the year with your goodness your carts overflow with plenty. The wilderness pastures overflow and the hills are robed with joy. The pastures are clothed with flocks and the valleys covered with grain. They shout in triumph. Indeed, they sing. At first glance, this might seem kind of strange to us. Praising God for rain. We live in Western PA. We have plenty of rain. <laughs> 
praising, praising God to see the hills covered in grain. And the reason this may at first glance seem strange to us is because we live in a culture that is very disconnected from the, from the source uh, or, or from the visuals of God's provision in our lives. Most of us don't grow our own sustenance. We don't grow our own food. Most of us, I mean, maybe you grow some tomatoes and some zucchinis and stuff like that, but you don't depend upon the rain to be able to eat throughout the year. But the overwhelming majority of human beings who have ever lived on this earth and probably the majority of human beings who live on this earth still today survive in that very way. And so there's this easy to spot correlation between the rain coming down and the crops growing and God's provision and goodness. If the rain doesn't come, that's a big problem. If the crops don't grow or if pestilence strikes or something, something overtakes the crops before harvest, that's a life-changing predicament. But for us, we're like, Okay, so it was a dry year. You know, occasionally we hear things on the news, like, you know, the apple trees got attacked by some bug or something, or bananas are going away because we don't have enough honeybee. And we're like, I don't know. I go to the grocery store and it's still all there. And, 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 and we have the ability to purchase those resources because we go to work and we do whatever job, you know, we're an engineer or we're a nurse or something. And then every two weeks, money gets dropped into our bank account. Most of us never see that money or, or touch it. We just go to the store and we hand them our credit card. And all of this stuff just keeps happening. And, and that, what that produces is we're really disconnected just from the basic nature of how God provides. But I think with a little bit of work, we can, we can understand the same is true even in our modern society. The same is true in our lives. You go to work and you collect a paycheck because God has given somebody wisdom to start some sort of business that sells a, a desirable product to a consumer. Money comes in and because money comes in and enough money comes in to cover all the costs of operating that business, there's enough left over to drop a little bit of it into your bank account. And so you take that money and you, you go to the grocery store and without ever having turned over a shovel full of dirt or planted a single seed, you buy all the food that you need. And yet, without the provision of God, none of those things would be possible. If God ceased to send rain upon the earth, and or, let's think of it this way, if God allowed your health to deteriorate and you couldn't go to work. Or if God allowed a change in the economy and your company, your employer closed down and was no longer paying you to work for them. There are so many things that have to happen in order for you to survive that we never even think about. But Israel had this way of celebrating God's provision at the beginning of the Passover. You know, Israel has these feasts, these celebrations that they have throughout the year to commemorate things that God has done in the past or even in an ongoing way to remember who he is and how he's working in their lives. And during the feast of Passover, which is primarily 
a celebration of God rescuing them from slavery in Egypt, if you're familiar with that story. But during the Feast of, of Passover, it's their tradition to bring forth what they call the first fruits. That's the beginning of the harvest season. If you planted a vegetable garden this year, this would be your first zucchinis or your first cucumbers. And, and you see the, those start to come and you're like, man, this is cool. I hope there's gonna be a lot more. And so Israel, by faith, would bring the first of their harvest. Now, if you planted a vegetable garden this year, you know a lot of things can happen and you may not receive the rest of that harvest. And so it's an act of faith. You bring forth what God has provided and you offer it to him in worship. And then 50, 50 days later, during the feast of Pentecost, the harvest is complete. And now they come together and they celebrate the abundance of God's provision. And they sing things like this psalm. They say, you crown the year with goodness. Your carts overflow with plenty. This is the praise of somebody who has received an abundance of harvest at God's hand. The wilderness pastures overflow. The hills are robed with joy. The pastures are clothed with flocks and the valleys covered with grain. They shout in triumph. Indeed, they sing. We need, we need to adjust our perspective and our attitudes to understand the goodness of God's constant provision in our lives. What if instead of getting up tomorrow morning when the alarm clock goes off and saying, ah, another week of going to work. What if you opened to Psalm 65 and said, praise God that I live in a nation of abundance. And if I lose this job, I can have five others by the end of the week. Praise God that I live in a country where I don't even have to go out and dig up the ground and plant seed and pray for rain. That I can just go to work, put in my eight hours, I can go home and know the money is gonna be there. Praise God because he has caused our lives to overflow with his provision. How do we adopt this mentality? How do we, how do we begin to live lives that see see and are aware of how God provides in our lives and then praise him for it. That's a challenge I would put in front of you today. How do you begin to look around and say, wow, look at all of this. Look at how much God has provided. I have a home. I have a climate control system. You know how rare that is in the world? To have, if it gets a little bit cold, I mean, most people live in homes where the temperature inside their home can range by dozens of degrees. And we're like, I'm gonna keep mine at exactly 72. And if it gets too hot outside, it's gonna cool down in here. And if it gets too cold outside, it's gonna warm up. Like, this is incredible. And we're, we're just inoculated to God's provision in our lives. And I wanna encourage us to praise God for how many ways he has provided for us. So here's the application. What provisions do you need to thank God for today? Can you think of a couple right now? Can you, can you even jot down two or three on that handout you have in front of you? Can you think of a handful of things that you have not thanked God for lately? Ways that he has provided health, transportation, family, friends, love, 
forgiveness, food, employment? What has he provided that you have not stopped and thanked him for today? Let's praise him, the God who provides. So three reasons to praise God today. Three reasons to praise him right now. Because he saves, because he loves, and because he provides. Would you pray with me? Father, it's good for us to be reminded by the psalmist of the reasons for which we ought to praise you. But it's even better for us to have the opportunity to do it right now. And so I pray that as we sing these last couple of songs, as we often do here on Sunday mornings together, God, that we would be overwhelmed with praise, remembering who you are, remembering your offer of salvation, your promise of eternal life, remembering your love for people among the nations, knowing that we know you as Savior because you love beyond borders. And Father, may we, may we be overwhelmed by the abundance of your provision in our lives to the point of just overflowing with praise. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.